make you smile. Hello there, and welcome to Magic by Design. Damn it! <laughs> We're diving deep into the recesses of the human mind this week for a review of Pixar's 15th animated feature, Inside Out, first released in 2015. But before we explore our emotions when it comes to Inside Out, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Ken, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host slash brother, Garrett. Garrett, how are you? Your, your anger, I would say. How dare you? I am of those emotions. Ugh. I'm going to go for fear. I think I'm more cautious than fear. Whatever His name's not cautious, is it? <laughs> no, it's fear. No, there's... Oh, yeah, it is fear. Yeah, I think I am fear. So, yeah, I probably do fall under fear more than any emotion. It's actually a nice touch to get right into the movie. If you'd notice, every person's head they go into has a different lead emotion. Yeah, that's quite subtle, isn't it? Yeah, they don't call attention to it. They're not like, oh, I am the sadness one. The mom is led by sadness. The dad is led by fear. So it's it's interesting that they do all have like different primary emotions based on who they are and what their personality is. Yeah, and that's true of real life. Everybody has different makeups in their personality, different trauma, different personal experiences that makes up their personality and their approach to everyday life. Yeah, it's, it's nice. This this movie's good. This is a Fair. good movie. We've Fair. had some bad movies, but this movie is good. It's like a, a paddish cleanser after all this garbage we've had recently. Yeah, because even like Monsters University, which we probably, I think we were more generous to than I expected us to be. But even like that, it's like, it's, it's fine. There's nothing really there. But this is just a really good movie. I, I think there's a case to be made for it to be the top Pixar movie, if not in the top three. Yeah, it's up there with Monsters, Inc. and whatever the best Toy Story is, depending on your tastes. Yeah. It's really, like, exceptional. It's just one of the best movies. It's so good. It's so smart. And like I've done the, the kids' entertainment doesn't have to be dumb and cynical rant a thousand times, but this is, like, the ultimate illustration of kids' entertainment doesn't have to be dumb, you know? Yeah, I mean, not only is it very joke-dense, but all the mind and psychology jokes, I mean, they're just really smart. And I think you'd have to watch the film a few times to catch them all. But, like, a few that I know were, like, Train of Thought and Headquarters, which is a very simple but adorable pun. Because it's in your head. But, like, the idea of emotions are complex to understand and even more complex to control. And we live our entire lives trying to deal with that problem. And this is like, all right, how do we take the idea of feelings... And tell a story about it that is both funny and engaging for children, but also like wildly imaginative and informs them about a thing about their life. And it does all of those things so deftly without talking down to kids, which is like one of the very easy things all these films end up doing is talking down to kids. It doesn't do that. It's not reductive about mental health, which is, I think an astounding feat in its own right that it's not just like, you know, good mental health, good, bad mental health, bad, woo, look after yourself. That's not the message of this film. It's much more nuanced. It's much more subtle. Like, this film is so smart. Inside Out was directed by Pete Docter, who developed the film over five years. Mr. Pixar A-Team, honestly. Yeah, I think he's the the best guy. He's my favourite guy in Pixar. He has done Monsters, Inc. He has done Up. He has done Inside Out, and he has done Soul, all of which are tremendous films. Not a dud in the bunch. He devised the idea for the film after noting changes in his own daughter's personality as she got older. Doctor and co-writer Ronnie Del Carmen also drew on their own emotions and experiences of growing up. I have feelings too. Let's make a movie about it. Inside Out debuted out of competition at the 68 Cannes Film Festival in May 2015 and was released in theatres the following month in June. Inside Out received praise for its animation, script, subject matter, plot and vocal performances 
performances, particularly those of Polar and Smith, the two main characters. It earned a whopping 858.8 million at the box office against a budget of 175 million. So to your point, Gar, saying that kids won't go for this, and actually, in fairness, the suits at Disney were concerned about marketing this film. Mm. They were like, oh, we don't know how to sell it and children might not go for it. And they did. They did more than any of their more recent films. And even if they didn't, like, there's plenty for adults in this movie. Honestly, probably more for kids. Like, there's n- there's not a ton in this movie for, like, five-year-olds. Like, there even is, though. The way they, like, imagine your imagination is so creative and interesting. There probably is enough in this for five-year-olds. Never mind, stupid suits at Disney. This film has universal appeal. Starting out here with the animation, Inside Out was produced by a team of 48 animators and approximately 350 artists. 35 That's a lot of people. 35 alone of whom were assigned to lighting, and I think that really shows through the film. Mm. Like, this film is really pretty. And even the, the human parts, which aren't actually meant to be pretty, they're, uh, like, by design, they're kind of meant to be a little drab, because that's, like, Riley's current viewpoint of the world. It's all a little drab, and this move from... Minneapolis to San Francisco has been a drag on her life and her, all the colour from her world is gone because all of her friends and everything she knows is gone. So like all of that, it's it's just, there's there's never a point at which in this film you're like, yeah, you know? And it's an interesting choice as well because I've been to San Francisco and it's a very vibrant city, so... And it's like every depiction of San Francisco in film, including in San Francisco. Nailed the car. Yeah, and Big Hero 6, long-term narrative actor of the podcast. Always very bright and colourful and always, like as you said, a very, very bright, vi- vibrant, vibrant, there you go, that's a word. Bright and vibrant, vibrant. Bribrant? Bribrant. Bribrant city, <laughs> just like France, San Francisco. Bribrant is now a word. It's a very bribrant city. So to like to make it this kind of like bleak, sad place from Riley's perspective is is a fun and interesting choice. The art design of the film was intended to reflect the 1950s Broadway musicals. Did that come across for you, Gar? No. No, I, I wouldn't have got that if I didn't read it. Also, I, I don't get it even after you telling me. How? I'm trying to think. I it, it, like The visuals do have a somewhat of a, a 1950s, 1960s style look. No. In terms of the character design. They don't. That's... <laughs> and you know maybe they do i don't know the types of costumes that the characters have like anger and even joy they just wear clothes yeah i don't know that's what like it's something that i didn't catch but i wanted to run it by you to see how you felt about it i like i don't know the art of that period enough to know like potentially what they might be referencing when they say that so like i'm like no of course it's not but then you're like well look at all these films that are clearly inspired from this film from the 50s and you're like well i'm just stupid okay leave me alone Within the mind, the layout and cinematography took inspiration from Casablanca, 1942. How? They just throw it out films now. It's like, oh yeah, we took inspiration from Casablanca. Oh, you know, Lawrence of Arabia. That really inspired the imagination part of the the movie. (laughs) Pixar researched films from Hollywood's golden age as inspiration as well. So I I didn't get that coming across either. No. Uh, Maybe in the movie set. If um, you had said Wally did that, I'd be like, yeah, because that's in the movie. (laughs) Is, is Hello Dolly in this movie? Is that the name of that movie? Yes, it's in... Uh, it's in Wally. It's in Wally, yes. Why isn't it in this one too, if they took such inspiration from it? Why doesn't it play in the background of Goofball World? So, how did the design of the characters grab you? So, we were going for that caricature style, but even more so, they're somewhere between mythical creations and human. They're mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle. Like I, I did like the fact that they seem to be made of some kind of energy. They don't have solid skin and bones. They're just going to 
ethereal. They're almost fuzzy. Yeah, which is interesting. And yeah, they're, they're, even the way the way they're animated, as you said, they don't have like they're not like contained to a space. Well, they are for the most part, but then they do have that like the fuzziness on the sides. And the way they move is almost like they kind of glide almost as well. So I did enjoy that. And something I really enjoy in films as well, when the animators make the characters look like the voice actors, Mm -hmm. because, you know, Phyllis Smith very much looks like sadness. Yeah. You do get a sense of Amy Porter from Joy. Yeah, Um, like that voice cast is so perfectly cast. Yeah, and you could just say it's like all the popular comedic actors from the best sitcoms of the time, but they were carefully chosen, I think. Because, like, Amy Poehler's, like, relentless upbeatness does occasionally border on being obnoxious. Yeah. So instead of, like, being like, let's have her so be so upbeat to the point of obnoxiousness, they're like, let's have her be so upbeat to the point of obnoxiousness, and that's a character beat. Yeah. So, like, they do, they took that character, that person, Amy Poehler, and used what she is known for and used it to inform the character in an interesting way, which is, is really smart. This film is really smart. I like, like, the Lewis Black one is less nuanced. Lewis Black is the angry guy, so he's anger. Well, that's his stick, isn't it? He's but like it's also, he's an the angry, angry guy. He's yeah. perfect to be the angry guy. Mindy Kaling is the, the too cool for school, uh, the smartest person in the room in every sitcom you watch. So, of course, she's disgust. It's like, it's obvious casting, but also the obvious casting works sometimes. It's not Chris Pratt as Mario, you know? <laughs> and you mightn't say Bill Hader is the first choice for fear, but he's a very versatile actor, so he can he fall into anything. Yeah. And, and apparently Amy Poehler, she didn't improvise, but she did give a lot of feedback about her lines, about her character. So she helps develop joy. And you do see it through the film. Yeah, and uh, the, the relationship between joy and sadness is the, the core of the movie. That the relentless joy is not the way forward in life. That the, the moral of the movie is it's okay to be sad sometimes. In fact, it's healthy healthy to be sad sometimes you need it so when you see the narrative arc of amy poehler's relentless joy trying to smother all the other feelings so that you feel joy and happy all the time because the other feelings are bad like amy poehler is so perfect for that because that's who she is as a performer it's basically leslie nope yeah like that's amy poehler she smothers everything around her with like gleeful enthusiastic happiness which is usually great in a role like parks and rec where you like that show is just about being uplifting but in this movie about how gleeful over enthusiastic happiness can be unhealthy she's so perfect for that because that's who she is it's it's so this smart movie I do love, as well, just tying up the animation here, Gar, each section of the mind has a distinct look and feel. I especially like the abstract thought sequence. Fantastic visually, but also brilliantly uses psychology as a source of comedy. Mm. Like everything about how the whole world of the mind is constructed and and like animated and composed of like I I don't want to use the word smart for the entire podcast, but it is like intelligent. It's, it's <laughs> genius. Like, like they, they sit there, they did the Pixar thing, where it's like, all right, we're going to go inside somebody's mind, and there's a bunch of characters that are operating levers, and that's your feelings. All right, so you have memories. How do memories work? We're going to categorize them into five different emotions. Each of those emotions are different and distinct, but one is most important to Riley, that's joy. All of her core feelings, which form your personality, they're joyful ones. Then what are those core feelings? They live inside your brain as these are like these distinct areas and islands that form like the basis of your personality and what you like and what you dislike. And then, well, we have to send the memories down to long-term storage. And they do the sequence where it's like, US presidents, 
Yeah, keep like two of them. Yeah. Shut the rest away, and that's yeah. it. That's where you're forgetting memories, and it's not. It's not even like the dumped into the pit stuff that you never need to remember and thrown away immediately. It's like that thing I needed to know at one stage for college. She doesn't need that anymore. Yeah, so she might be able to recall it if she really tries, because we're not getting rid of it. But it's just deep in the recesses of the mind. They just constructed that world with all of its nuance and all of its detail and all of its ideas, and in, in the, the the way that is totally opposite of Brave and Monsters University and. Shudders Cars 2. It's like it's a fully featured world. They thought about everything. It's like what would this brain world look like in animated form? Yeah, we're back to detailed and rich world building and I am here for it, Car. That's what I want out of my Pixar movies. It's Pixar at their best. They're the Renaissance 2, baby. We talk about the secret sauce of Disney when we did those films. The secret sauce of Pixar, that's one of the core elements, I think. World building, yeah. And it's, it's a word you see thrown around in annoying ways these days, world building. It usually just means like exposition or backstory or lore. People consider that world building. I'm like, you, Because it's like a video game definition of world building, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of seeped into popular culture. It's like, oh, there's a lot of world building. It's like, no, you just said a bunch of lines about the world is like. As opposed to this, or the world is fully formed. That's world building, where it's like every element of this world has been thought through. Every element is considered and connects to one another. That's world building, not your goofy video game definition where you're like, oh, you know, he said that this is that. Therefore, the world has been built. At the core of the story, Riley's carefree life gets more complicated as she faces her first big test in life. She moves from her native Minnesota to San Francisco and she doesn't want to go. Joy attempts to deliver uninterrupted happiness, becoming increasingly neurotic. So both Joy and Riley grow and learn throughout the film. So it is about the relationship between sadness and joy. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's interesting how Riley and Joy go on a similar journey. And it's cleverly done because all the hiccups and the setbacks for Joy and sadness and Bing Bong, they reflect what's happening in the real world as well. Yeah, because all Riley needs is a bit of sadness because her mom comes in and is like, look, your dad is going through a tough time and he needs us to be, like chin up, you know? And like the mother doesn't do that uh, with bad intention, you know? She just doesn't realize the amount Riley is currently going through as well and how Riley needs support. And that, that's the typical tension of the family because nobody, like the world doesn't exist so that only one person is going through a thing at one given time so everyone else can be there to support them. Everyone else has their own shit too. And we all need to kind of rely and lean on and sometimes not lean on each other. That's a bit of a pet peeve for me because sometimes parents forget that kids have problems too because it's going to go like, well, I have a job and I have to pay a mortgage and like I have real problems. You'll get over it. The pandemic is a, a key one. I saw parents all the time going, you know, kids were distressed because they were away from their friends, they were away from their social group and their school and they're like, Oh, they'll get over it. But like in their world, those are big problems, you know. Every single time some kid comes on the news and says, my mental health is bad for because of the pandemic. Ken is like, blah, 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 blah. I'm an old man yelling at clouds. Kid these days. No resilience. But it's How not- dare you now come on this podcast being like, oh, I'm with the kids. No, I will admit it is a balancing act for me because I do think there's a removal of resilience as well and a resistance to it because we're trying to shield kids from pain and sadness, as mm-hmm. we talk- we're talking about. I don't think that does them any good either so i do think we should acknowledge their feelings but i I also think we do need to challenge them when their instinct is to withdraw and not be challenged or you know avoid hard times in life i do think as much as that can be traumatic it does 
build character as well. So what you're saying is we should try and introduce controlled suffering into children's lives. Yes. So that they know <laughs> they know <laughs> they they understand what it is to suffer, but not so much that they actually suffer long-term damage from said suffering. Exactly. <laughs> this is Ken's book on parenting that he's going to write now. <laughs> Firm but fair. That's the the goal. This film is also about memories, Gar, forgetting. Why do we forget? Why do we remember? And the way they treat that in the film is very interesting as you said. There are little blobs whose job is to to purge the memory to make room for other stuff and mm-hmm. it's it's mined for comedy but we also see the fact that some stuff is retained because it's core to who they are but some stuff is lost and sometimes stuff that's core to who you are is also lost yeah and that's a problem and we change through our lives and it's, it's just interesting to see that that represented in animation you know and not always for the better because like the 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 lowest of the low for riley here is not that she is feeling sad it's that she's feeling nothing and yes. there is truly nothing worse than when you're feeling nothing because then like just everything is gone from you you don't feel joy or happiness or sadness or fear or anger or disgust or any of that and you're just empty and that emptiness it's not good because emptiness is filled with numbs at best you're passive but at worst you're erratic and don't make logical decisions you know it's not even that you just don't make any decisions just empty yeah just sit in your bed the void eating pringles yeah it's the only way that you get the brief sugar rush that gets you through the day producer jonas rivera researched the mind and the filmmakers also consulted psychologist paul ekman at the university of california and berkeley professor of psychology dacher keltner i'm surprised you weren't like the filmmakers use unforeseen technology to shrink themselves down and travel inside the human <laughs> brain well, well you wouldn't put it past pixar while keltner focused on sadness and how it strengthens relationships he and ekman said that the emotions form our social lives and interactions so ekman identified seven emotions with each of them having universal signals anger fear sadness disgust and happiness who would later be renamed to joy these are the ones that made it into the movie he also said there's contempt and surprise doctor viewed fear and surprise as similar combining them while also dropping contempt a total of 26 emotions including irritation envy greed gloom despair love all the feelings i feel on this podcast depression schadenfreude ennui i I don't know what ennui means i should look that up shame and embarrassment and hope basically sadness so there's lots of different ones that they consider before picking the final lineup which was streamlined to hone in on the story and visuals you couldn't have like 10 characters in the headquarters for example well what they could have done potentially is have like riley has these like five feelings but then the mom has like another five and you know but that probably would have been messy as well it's like when you go inside the mom's head it's very easy to go oh like that's the sadness that's the disgust that's the disgust is a weird one to like narrow down on but i kind of get what they're going for i didn't think disgust if you take it off face value is just oh that's just a very one-dimensional emotion but i think it's i would say i would feel disgust on a daily basis but that's not anger well you see me on a daily basis so yeah you're a handsome young man (laughs) uh see i'm nice you know things like people do something that annoys you and you're not angry but you're like ugh, Mm. that kind of stuff so i do think that's kind of a prevalent of emotion yeah especially in teenagers (laughs) sure it's the most teenage felt emotion i suppose what they could have done was maybe have like uh bureaucracy where there's like divisions and stuff that could have just muddied the waters also if they do a sequel plenty of the mind there and new emotion shows oh that's the that's gonna be the sequel isn't it go inside riley's head and suddenly the new emotion shows up and it's like that you've never been here before and there's a whole thing about the new emotion and they don't trust the new emotion but they learn the new emotion is valuable there you go pixar i've written your outside in sequel doctor has resisted talks of a sequel for quite some time well he's never made a sequel 
there has been sequels to films he has made, but he's not. He's like, I'm not doing Monsters University. No way. I think he has integrity that way. He only <laughs> wants to do it if there's actually a story there. So he will recuse himself if it's a, mm. a money-led sequel. Moving on here, Gar. Joy is great at her job, but she's in denial and wants to protect Riley from experiencing any sadness at all, even to her detriment. She's so obsessed with finding the bright side, it makes her really impractical. So, like, it's funny because, like, it can show you how, like, any one emotion in extremes is damaging. And how toxic positivity is worse than sadness. Sadness, healthy. Being toxically positive, not healthy. That leads to denial. and But I, I just find it interesting that sh- she learns the lesson she needs to learn as Riley is learning the lesson she needs to learn. As well. That's the way it works, Ken, because she is Riley. That's the thing. That's because this film is smart. These characters are Riley. They're not separate. They are her. So as they learn lessons, she learns lessons. Do you think, though, that she has agency or is it directly... No, they're the her? same person. That's her brain. It's her brain operating, which is why this film is so smart. <laughs> That's why your brain doesn't work when two of the emotions just go for a holiday. Yeah, when when suddenly you don't have access to joy or sadness, you're just angry or disgusted or the other one, fearful all the time, or some mix of all three, which being disgustedly angry and scared is probably not a great way to live through your life. Richard Kind as Bing Bong. Oh. It's a real gut punch of a plot point. It's the classic Pixar. It's like, ah, we need to pull on the heartstrings. Let's kill off Bing Bong. <laughs> it's integral to the growth of the Joy character as well, though. And most importantly, they don't bring him back. No. There's Which... no like, oh, we're back. You know, we've restored the brain. and We've learned our lessons and Bing Bong's back. Which is actually an interesting question. Now that you mentioned the fact that we talked about how the likes of Joy are Riley and Bing Bong fell into like the disposable memory and faded away. So does that mean Joy has forgotten Bing Bong too? In theory, it should. Although to your point, Kerr, she doesn't seem to show any remorse. Like in the moment, there's like a bit of like, oh no, Bing Bong's gone. Yeah. Things move on very quickly. I know that's probably the plot and I'm reading too much into it. But mm. logically, you would think Joy also forgets Bing Bong once Bing Bong goes to the long term, once he fades away, once he leaves the memory banks. Like Joy is only the sum of Riley. Joy only has access to the same memories Riley has access to. So if Bing Bong is gone for Riley, Bing Bong is gone for Joy. So actually, it does make a lot of sense that like Bing Bong isn't referenced after Bing Bong dies. Other than, as you mentioned, Joy kind of looks back and is like, no, and once Bing Bong fades away, they go back to the mission. And Bing Bong is never referenced again. There's not like a nice moment at the end where it's like, because... Thanks, Bing Bong. She does that. She brings Riley to the moon or whatever so that Riley can remember Bing Bong. And you see Bing Bong like float over the moon and Riley has a wonderful memory about her childhood imaginary friend. That doesn't happen. And maybe it is simply the fact that they did think about it. It's like, all right, these characters are inside Riley's head. They are her brain. And if we are saying that when he fell into that pit and faded away, the memory was lost the memory should also be lost to them so god this film is even smarter than i gave it credit for or they didn't think about it and it just kind of worked out that way but either way that's art leaves the hands of the the artist once you put it out into the world pal i'm reading into it however i want yeah i think if you think about if i think logically it's probably that the plot just needed to leave bing bong behind Mm -hmm. but it worked out yeah and it makes sense when you think about how they did it richard kind you know he's a great comedic actor so you know he he brings the whimsy and the fun of Bing Bong. But Bing Bong is also kind of desperate because, you know, he doesn't want to be forgotten. He's a sad character. He's, you know, he's disillusioned because he always thought that he'd be part of Riley's life. And, like, you do get that sense of clawing desperation from him that Richard Kind can bring. Mm. And, like, you know, even when they go to the Hollywood studio, we'll talk about that in a minute because I love the way they visualize dreams in this world. But, like, he tries to get himself front and center in Riley's mind again because... Be like, remember me? Bing Bong. Mm. But, like, even when we're introduced to Bing Bong, he's walking down the halls 
grabbing some old memories of him and Riley to shove in his sack. He's just trying to remember the good old days when he was real in the world as a, like an imaginary friend. And then Bing Bong realises that the best thing he can do for Riley is not to recapture the glory days, is to help her now. Because mm. she's in trouble. It's a good movie. So he basically kills himself in some ways. Yes. So. For, for a noble cause. Yeah. That she'll never remember or know about. But Noble nonetheless. We'll remember it, Gar. She needed it. We mentioned the dreams there, Gar. I I really love the treatment of dreams in this world. Mm -hmm. There's some very funny lines like, who's in charge of programming down there? Like, every dream is a Hollywood production. They nailed all the classic dream tropes as well, like the teeth falling out and doing something embarrassing at school, all that stuff. Well, my favourite part was they were walking through the the lot on the way to the the film set and there was posters for, like, the greatest hits. It's like, falling endlessly down down a a never-ending pit. it's like yeah classic but like the way they kind of they're all dressed in pantomime costumes or like all the little blobs again or Mm. characters in her school and then the lens of the camera turns them into how she would remember them but i love also as well do you know the way dreams are also fuzzy around the edges or sometimes they have a a sepia tone to them Mm -hmm. they like oh yeah let's let's add the dream filter you know they, they thought of everything there my favorite dreams are the ones where you suddenly gain agency in Oh, I love those. Like, my, my random school dreams lately, I'm, like, stressing over a test. And then, like, in the dream, I'm like, what the f***? I'm 29. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not doing any tests. <laughs> I, I do have lucid dreams. I can control my dreams. And I have continuity in dreams sometimes, which yeah, is so weird. But, like, yeah, that kind of thing. I was like, wait a second. No, I, I get one all the time. My first big job was in Dunn Stores, which is a supermarket here. Mm. And I, I'm back there and I'm like... Wait a second. I don't work here anymore. I haven't worked there in 10 years. Why am I here? But, like, yeah, it's literally a moment where it's like, uh, I'm in a class or sitting at a test and I'm worried about it or whatever. And I'm just like, no, I'm 29. Yeah. I don't need to do this. Although you don't tend to stay in it that long after that. You no, then you just up. wake up. Yeah. You don't remember like the 10 minutes after you have the realization. That, like yeah. your brain is like, oh, he's on to us. <laughs> he's on to us. Shut it down. Shut it down. There's not much to mention here in terms of music here. It's not a musical film. There are no songs. Great score. Michael Giacchino returns to form with this because he's had a couple of shaky ones recently. Why, what are the shaky ones? I think you're slandering this man's name for no reason. Oh, he did do Cars 2, to be fair. But also, it's Cars 2. Who cares? Yeah, so he's back on form after Cars 2. Doctor felt the score needed to be bittersweet and nostalgic. Straight away, Gar. First notes of the film i love this score it's dreamy and soothing yeah and it is bittersweet and nostalgic he's nailed that yeah it also it's kind of the same motif as up in that the score doesn't change too much it's more or less the same song throughout but it's changed for different effects yeah it's what we call late motif in the music world Giacchino visited Pixar to discuss the film's concept and screen it for him. He composed an eight-minute suite of music unconnected to the film based on his emotions having viewed it. Oh, just like a tone piece kind of thing? Yeah, so it's interesting how, this like... This is how this made me feel? It's, yeah, so it's interesting how, like, the film informs the music where a lot of the time it's kind of the opposite. Mm. That they don't have the film before they have to start working on the music, so I, I find that an interesting note. Care overall in terms of the legacy of Inside Out, you know, we have the obvious ones. It was nominated for two Academy Awards, Best Animated Feature and Best Original Screenplay. It won Best Animated Feature. Which justifiably, but also not much of a year. Yeah. There was Animalisa, which I don't even remember. Nope. Boy in the World. Nope. Sean the Sheep movie. Didn't see it, but I'm aware of it. When Marnie was there. 
Yeah. And when Marnie is there, it looks like a Japanese movie. It looks like Love International movies, actually, that year. So they never stood a damn hope. The boy in the world is Brazilian. So yeah, <laughs> those four movies didn't stand a chance against the big Pixar movie. It also won the Golden Globe and BAFTA for animation. So like, are, I, I say like, oh, the other movies didn't stand a chance. It's also competing against one of the best animated movies ever made. So <laughs> this is the first Pixar film to have no input at all from Steve Jobs, who died in 2011. But does he have it? We haven't mentioned him at all, other than that there's a note at the end of Monsters Universe like it's dedicated to him but like does he have any real input to like to create a process of pixar he would normally be involved in the green lighting and i think he would be invited to key screenings as well is it a classic steve jobs thing where we're giving him credit just for founding a thing like he didn't write toy story there are times when he pops up in the notes i don't really include it but he does have a say in these movies which is odd he's just a guy in a boardroom who nods every so often or, you know, expresses an opinion because he thinks he has to be a leader. Maybe shakes his head instead of nodding every so often just to change it up. This is also the first Pixar film to lack any input from John Lasseter. No fo- wonder it's one of the best movies. Who was focused on restructuring the Walt Disney Studio at the time. And we know now that his time was also coming to an end. To accommodate international audiences, two scenes from Inside Out were altered. Doctor stated that the technology had improved to make the transition between scenes easier and swapping in and out items and palettes that these international versions could be more easily accomplished. For example, a Japanese version shows Riley being disgusted by green bell peppers rather than broccoli to reflect the fact that broccoli is generally favourable to Japanese children, where in Japan green bell peppers are gross. Many countries also showed a soccer game instead of hockey as soccer as we know is a very popular sport globally. Oh, and that being like Riley's key sport? Yes. Interesting. Overall, 28 graphic changes over 45 individual shots were made for all versions. That's... the To think about them doing that in, like, the 90s. Imagine telling, like, the Pixar team, it's like, hey, not only do we want you to make this movie, we also want you to put in scenes catered to international culture. And they'd be like, why are you doing this to us? Whereas now it's just like, eh, we have computers, we can just go copy-paste and it works. This is the first time I remember this being noted, so maybe it has been done in other Pixar films, but... The only other film I really remember non-Pixar is Captain America and the Winter Soldier, or the list of uh, pop culture that Steve Rogers had to catch up on was localized based on the region. So, like, there'd be more american leaning stuff for the americans and more like uk leaning stuff in the uk and different markets would have like their cultural icons on that list of things you had to catch up on in the 80 years he was in the ice um i can't think of any other movies that did something like that but i'm sure they exist i know there are disney animations but i think this is a first for pixar i feel like we've mentioned this at one stage before as well but i'm not sure like zootopia is a big one for a different reason yeah the overall name was changed they just changed the name which must have been a nightmare and that only came out the year after so in june 2017 denise daniels a child psychologist from minnesota filed a lawsuit against disney and pixar for breach of contract daniels had been working on a creative project called the moodsters with a theme very similar to inside out and had discussed the prospects of a tv production with disney and pixar executives including the film's eventual director pete doctor daniels said that she presented her idea in detail for color-coded anthropomorphic characters that represented different types of emotions to be used as a children's learning tool which would promote better understanding the discussions were held between 2006 and 2009 and daniels argued that they carried an implied contract for her to be compensated if her ideas were used by disney 
So this, she filed it in 2017. It took quite a few years to shake out. In January 2018, her suit was dismissed by Judge Philip Gutierrez, who ruled that the conversations there were no grounds for an implied contract between Disney and Daniels. So yeah, she didn't have a contract, so I don't think this was ever going to go in her favour. Daniels appealed to the Ninth Circuit, who upheld the original court's ruling in March 2020, that Pixar's film did not infringe on Daniels' characters. The decision stated that simply creating colour-coded characters based on emotions was not enough to be copyrighted but instead would have to require these characters to carry similar characterization elements wow little man was robbed again big corporate interests it's even a a bit telling that she's from minnesota oh god yeah they totally took everything from her but also what was it moodsters yes come on (laughs) well i i would believe that disney shafted her but more fool her for giving away all her ideas before signing a contract contract, yeah which is the sad reality of the world we live in that you can't say a word to disney without them stealing your idea and making 800 million (laughs) dollars off of it but and deploying their high paid lawyers to make it all go away you would really wonder what's going on in disney there if they did rip this off like she probably could be paid off for a very small sum fair enough they didn't have to pay her anything in the end because she lost but like even if you're like yeah we really like that idea but we don't really like her vision of it like just pay her off to adapt it here's like two hundred fifty thousand dollars sign this piece of paper i think most people would throw away their ideas for two hundred fifty thousand dollars <laughs> it's life-changing money to a lot of people overall i think We talk about the films of the mid to late 90s of Disney being Disney firing on all cylinders. I think Inside Out is the perfect example of Pixar firing on all cylinders and possibly excelling to their highest point. Disney have never made a film this good. Never. And probably never will, because that's not really the films they kind of try to make. Like, I love Lilo and Stitch. And I, I, like, I personally prefer Lilo and Stitch. It means more to me as a piece of art. This is probably a better movie than Lilo and Stitch. And there's like a whole generation of people for whom this is probably going to be an, an extremely important movie who told them so much about how their dumb idiot brains work and how sometimes their dumb idiot brains work against them. And it's just the way our dumb idiot brains are. Just the core message of embracing sadness mm. as a learning tool. And overall, Riley can be sad about the situation, but accepting that it's the way things are and it's not really going to change. I think it's more healing than being in denial like Joy was. So When we started this podcast, Ken, it was bright outside with a little bit of sun, you know, sun seems to be setting. Now it's dark and raining. It's and a metaphor windy. for embracing the, the, the cold, dark of night. And, and that's part of your heart. And that's okay. And that's important. But at the end, we see all the core emotions are mixed as well, even mm. with the other emotions. So I think it also says, I think that was an important distinction is like, we don't embrace the sadness fully. Mm. We don't go full goth on it. Our emotions are nuanced and we need to view them through all sorts of different lenses. It's really astounding that this film wasn't reductive about all this stuff. That like they're, they're, the core message is that it's okay and healthy to be sad, but also sadness is just part of who you are, not all of who you are. Yeah. And it's, that's always important. And sometimes happy memories are tinged with sadness. Sometimes sad memories are tinged with fear. Sometimes disgusting memories are tinged with happiness. Like, that's the nature of life. That's the nature of humanity. Sometimes it's a mix of all of them. And that's just the, your emotional journey through the world is never just one thing. It's always multiple things. And sometimes it can feel like it's one thing, but there's always multiple things. And it's really brave as well, because essentially... No, Riley, brave was a couple of movies ago. Yeah, well done. Riley is, depre- <laughs> Riley is depressed, you know, and it's really true to life that their parents got wrapped up in all their stuff and they didn't really see the signs. And at the end, they apologized because they, they genuinely were trying to do the best for her, but didn't see it. And I think that's, again, I saw this through the pandemic where parents 
only on reflection now realize that they ignored their kids feelings and that they they didn't see the woods through the trees because they were looking at their own problems but uh, I think that's if, if anything it's I think it opens up a conversation between parents and children about mental health and I think the earlier the better for that kind of talk yeah and I'd like to think that you know parents who are dragged to this inside out movie by their kids sat there and been like have I neglected my kids feelings and like not not in like a malicious way or a neglectful way or just just like do I need to do more work on that yeah just sit there and ask the question it's like have I have I been like attentive to how my kid is how they're doing or has it all been about me and what's going on in my life and people always get like all hoity-toity and high and mighty about parenting like parenting is what like it's winging it mostly but winging it with with good intent And that's all All you can do is wing it with good intent, because there is no one way to raise a child. Like, you can do all the best parenting practices and your child might turn out to be a serial killer. Them's just the breaks, because human beings are weird. But... What a positive note to end on. Yeah. Like, this film is, as I said, it's it's better than anything Disney have ever made. It's right up there with the best that Pixar has ever made. It is creative and imaginative and clever, and it's it's important. And I don't use that word often, Ken, that films are important, because I think most animated films aren't. Like, Beauty and the Beast isn't important, you know? Like, the, the Jungle Book or any of those Disney's 90 films. The Lion King, I love it. It's not important. I think this film is important. I think if you sat your eight-year-old kid down in front of this movie, they would learn something about themselves, and I think you would learn something about them. And I think that's better than we can say for the vast majority of pieces of art we have covered on this show. I think that says it all, Gar. Yeah. Such, it's, a, it's a smart movie, Ken. It's a, a very smart movie indeed. All right, Magic by Design Brain Trust. It's nearly time for us to be sent to long-term memory for another week. Do you like that, Gar? Yeah. We're going away until next week. We're always in your long-term memory. Don't you dispose of your memories of this podcast? As we said, there are no songs in Inside Out, so we won't be treated to the musical stylings of resident Magic by Design singer Nicole this week. Here's hoping that we get to hear a tune from her again sometime very soon. What are we doing next? We're doing... Coco? No. The Good Dinosaur. Is there Spoilers. a sign on that? No. So we won't wow. hear Nicole for a few weeks, I'm afraid. New episodes of Magic by Design land every Monday, where all magical podcasts are downloaded. Stop by the website at magicbydesign.buzzsprout.com to find a full list of podcast platforms. We are everywhere on the podcast internet. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, YouTube, you name it, we're on it. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Dive into the subconscious of Magic by Design on social media by following us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash magic by design pod, on Twitter at magic design pod, and on Insta at magic by design pod to get all the latest from the show. If you like the show and want to help us out, please do use that big brain of yours to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. No, you know what we were saying about how sometimes you use other emotions and that's important? Not when you're leaving podcast reviews. Only joy for podcast reviews. Get out of here with your anger or fear. We love you. Or disgust. We have to, to be fair, disgust is probably the one you really have to get yeah. rid of when you're listening to me. We love you for listening, but if you don't give us a positive review, we will see that every pizza you purchased will be topped solely with broccoli forevermore. And if you like that well we'll come up with something else yeah whatever you don't like we'll find out we'll go into your subconscious we'll put raw cheese on pizza just to freak can out i don't like raw cheese next week we will be breaking down pixar's 16th animated feature the good dinosaur so be sure to keep an eye out for that in your podcast feeds but until then stay safe and remember triple dent gum will make you smile ah! <laughs> had to be done sorry thanks for listening and see you next week <laughs>